This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You have to really think about what are the priorities and not every you can't have it all at the same time. You can't be great in the kitchen and great on the floor with your kids and great in the office. Like there just aren't that many hours in the day. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton and I'm Greta Thomas. We're here to bring you fascinating stories from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. Our aim is to uncover the human behind the success story to show that these women aren't so different from you or I. They're achieving great things despite their doubts, fears and tough times. Don't forget to look out for our special how-to episodes as well. This is where Claire and I unpick some of the common career pain point themes our guests have raised. Now to this week's show. Our guest today is something of a legend in Silicon Valley. And what's more, she literally coined the term social media. Tina Sharkey is a true web pioneer and serial entrepreneur. And yes, she did indeed come up with the phrase social media, back in the 90s, and even registered the domain names. Tina has been named one of the most influential women in technology several times by Fast Company. She's CEO and co-founder of the disruptive startup Brandless, recently named Startup of the Year by AdAge. You'll hear today why it's called Brandless and how it's aiming to radically change the way we buy essential groceries and other products. Tina's background includes co-founding iVillage, one of the 90s most successful websites. She was chairman and global president of Baby Center, the parenting online community with more than 100 million visitors in 22 countries. And she's an angel investor and advisor. In this episode, we chat to Tina about so many great things, including how she's thought about what next in her career, juggling motherhood and work, and the trade-offs she's chosen to make, and how she's going about disrupting an entire industry. Enjoy this conversation with the amazing Tina Sharkey. Tina, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we know that it's likely to have been a whirlwind since you launched Brandless last year. So, and knowing how precious time is, we're incredibly grateful for you to be with us today. I would be with you guys if you were on the moon, so it doesn't matter. Fantastic. Thank you. So, we know a lot about you, but uh, listeners probably don't. And you've had a very interesting and illustrious career to date, of course, because it's very much going from strength to strength. So 
If we were to ask you to summarize your career in just a few sentences, how would you summarize it? Well, firstly, thank you. And uh, don't believe what you read. But I would say that my career, if I had to summarize it, starts with the journey of motherhood, uh, because that's the most important job that I have. And it's the thing that I care about the most above everything else. So for the audience out there, I would say that you can have it all, not always at the same time. But it's important to me uh, that you understand that that's the most important thing in my life, more than any company that I have the privilege to be a part of. The second thing I would say is that, you know, I've really tried to find ways in which I can be involved in communities, local, national, and global uh, with soul, and businesses that somehow unlock joy for their constituents, whether it's their customers, whether it is their audiences, whether it's consumers, whether it's enterprise, but things that really um, optimize around joy and around uh, making complex things simple, finding ways to scale that and finding the universality of the human condition, whether that's the global sisterhood of motherhood, whether that's the democratization, and that was with Baby Center, or whether here at Brandless it's about the democratization of goodness, which is scaling incredible, better-for-you things at fair prices and sort of challenging the idea that better doesn't need to cost more. You know, it sounds to me as if you, you've lived your life and you've lived your career and taken decisions around your career around some very big sort of purpose-driven values. And if you look back at where you are today, how has your childhood impacted that sort of need to make community and joy and purpose part of your life? I don't know that I would say that it comes from my childhood or because I feel like I'm still in my childhood <laughs> being the most immature adult that I know. I would say that it's much more about as a child, like we all have a happy place we go to when you're scared, you know, when you're like lying in bed and you're a five-year-old and you think that, you know, the monsters are going to get you in the dark or whatever. I think everyone has that virtual happy place that you kind of go to to make the scary stuff go away. I don't know if you two do, but I would imagine you do because I, I would imagine everybody does. And for me, like that place was always rainbows. It was always color. And I always found like that sense of color and imagine and, you know, technicolor and things that were really not any one person or place, but just this idea that there was bright, happy things to be had from experiences that made you smile. So it wasn't any one particular thing in my childhood. It was much more this idea that how do you like optimize around smiling? How do you optimize around feeling safe? And how do you optimize around feeling happy? And doesn't mean that you can be all those things, but it was definitely something that I always, I always gravitated to, especially with color and and rainbows and things like that as a, as a, as a young child. Do you have happy places that you went to when you were little girls? Yeah, no, for sure. What that makes me think of is my happy place now, which is the water, that my safe place. But as a kid, I'm just trying to think. I don't think I did, but I loved ballet as a child. And I suspect my happy place was turning, was a, a feeling. It was a feeling rather than a place. It was turning on music and, you know, choreographing and improvising in my bedroom to music that moved me. Actually, now you say it, my happy place was with my horse. I, I was very, very lucky at a young age to have a horse. 
that was my safe place, being with my horse and that connection that I had with my horse. It's a wonderful thing to go to go back to actually to to really think about, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And so, Tina, when you were thinking about joining companies or starting companies, were those questions of how do I make people safe? How do I bring joy? How do I bring happiness? How do I get people to smile? Are they instrumental in the sort of questions you ask yourself before leaping? I don't think cognitively, yes, but I would say that conceptually, yes. So what I mean by that is let's take the let's take Baby Center as an example, or even AOL or even iVillage, um, any of those examples, or Sesame Street or some of the stuff that I've done. In Baby Center, initially that felt like a very small thing because I was coming from managing and overseeing all of AOL's networks and our communities and our platforms around messaging and things like that, like AIM and other things. And so thinking about going to baby center, I felt like I was taking a very small, you know, narrow view of all the different kinds of programming that I was interested in. But when I began to think about the sort of global sort of sisterhood of motherhood, I thought, wow, that's like so extraordinary. And it's something that everyone in the planet either had a mother, wants to be a mother or might consider becoming a mother or was a child. Like there are certain things that are just universally true and there are other things that universally apply. And so for that, that was a filter in thinking about the extraordinary opportunity to create a global community that was locally deployed. And the sense of AOL and those platforms, what I loved about my role there was that I got to work on our social technologies and social communities that actually connected people. And I got to be like a great facilitator of other people's experiences and connect them to their affinities, to their passions, or to their life stage kind of shared experiences. And I love the idea of working with technology to do that. And other things that I did there were about making really complex things simple, like bill pay and other types of technology platforms that help people make every day easier. And so I think this idea of democratizing access or democratizing connectivity or democratizing social good has something that has not been in my conscious mind, but has definitely been in my unconscious mind in terms of evaluating opportunities as well. Yeah, I hear that really sort of common thread and theme coming through for sure. I'm not sure our listeners would appreciate just what an internet pioneer you are. And I'd love to take you back to um, the days of co-founding iVillage in the mid-90s. What was it like and how did that come about? Well, it was extraordinary and it was also very lonely. I don't mean iVillage was lonely. I mean that you know, today to say that you're working in digital or you're working on the, you know, web enabled platforms or you're working on e-commerce or any of the, are you working on AI or machine learning or any of those things? Those are, none of those are lonely, meaning that the whole universe knows what that means and you're moving towards those platforms and everyone is moving towards those types of businesses. But at the time that we launched iVillage and that was in New York, you know, the magazine industry was, you know, having its renaissance not its renaissance it was probably in its heyday and multimedia was the way people talked about digital technology and they largely meant dvds and cd-roms i just think it was a very it was a time when we were talking about web solutions where people didn't really understand that and aol and some of the other services were private services that were software that was loaded on your computer 
the open architecture of the open web and even HTML for that point. Netscape hadn't gone public yet, you know, so web browsing was a new concept. Those were the days of like InfoSeq and other major web search engines. The beginning of the days of the portal, you know, Lycos and Yahoo and uh, InfoSeq and others. And then AOL and Prodigy and CompuServe were still private services, although they were in the sort of the tail end of being private software services and they were sort of rolling each other up. So I think that it was lonely because people didn't really understand, especially people in the media business, didn't really understand what these types of media platforms were. And that was how I came to coin social media was that I was trying to describe to potential advertising partners. Well, we have like there's informational media like news and then there's entertainment media like movies and things like that and, uh, and music. And then there is transactional media like eBay and other things, you know, of trading platforms like that. Then there's this new thing called social media, which is that it's a platform where other people are making the content and the conversations and you get to participate by being in the environment of that content and conversation, but you're not making the content, which was an entirely new idea. Advertisers and marketers were very, very scared of being around something that they weren't in control of. And so it was lonely and it was um, an uphill battle in the beginning because people just didn't understand it. How did you land on that insight at iVillage of, hang on, there's a whole new way of interacting with consumers and having consumers actually interact with each other, which was the revelation that was the new part of social media. How did that happen? At the time, AOL was a private service and the most activity that was on AOL were the chat rooms and the message boards. And so that's where, you know, 99% of the uh, time was spent of people connecting to other people. And so by launching the early channels of iVillage on the AOL proprietary platform, we were able to launch chat rooms and message boards as part of the overall iVillage experience. And that was where we knew the traffic was going to be and actually is where the traffic was. And so we were saying, look, we're going to launch the largest community for women online And we're going to have service media like recipes and information. We're going to have transactional media like commerce and shopping. We're going to have educational media or informational media like news and things like that. And we're going to have entertainment media where we'll write about, you know, the latest films or books or whatever. But there's this other thing, which is where all the time is spent is called social media. And that was how it came. It was like in the framework of trying to describe the other media that's where it all evolved from. I'm intrigued because I, I think after iVillage, which you, you co-founded, you then went on to do multiple very, very interesting CEO roles, president roles, advisor roles, but they were all working for somebody else, as far as I understand, until Brandless. What led to that? I didn't think of it that way because like you said, what made me start things? It was never about like, who's the leader or it was more about the idea and did the idea need to happen? It wasn't about what's my role in the idea. I always want to be of service to something, but I would say that Brandless per se, my co-founder, who's actually a fellow Aussie living in Melbourne, Ido Leffler, is an extraordinary person who I knew before we we co-founded the company together. And he was somebody that I had sort of had 
co-founder Remorson, what I mean by that is I said to him, how is it that we've never started anything together? Like you're extraordinary. And we had such similar and complementary views on things that I said, you know, at some point, and we both said, we have to do something together. The idea for Brandless was born from our collaboration and us saying, in spite of the fact that we had other things going on in our life, other business commitments, personal commitments, et cetera, that we just started meeting and chatting about if we were to start something, what would it look like and what problems were we trying to solve for? And so that's kind of how Brandless came to be. Fascinating. And uh, yes, big admirer of Ido and and yes to his yes to brand and the like. Before we talk a little bit more about Brandless, how would you summarize what Brandless is to our listeners who aren't based in America? Brandless is a community. It's a community and a company that was built for profit and for purpose on the assumption that better doesn't need to cost more and everybody deserves better. And we're trying to do better everything for everyone, starting with the things you reach for every day and using a better for you filter. So um, non-GMO food or organics, vegan, gluten-free, clean beauty, EPA Safer Choice certified, cleaning products and so on. Everything that we sell at Brandless, we co-create with our community and our manufacturing partners. And everything that we sell at Brandless, you can only get at brandless.com. And everything that we sell at Brandless is three American dollars. And that has been a real shock to the market because Brandless is disrupting not only the consumer packaged goods, or as we say, the CPG industry, but it's also disrupting the better industry in, in that we are sort of democratizing access to things that heretofore have cost a lot more and trying to invite more people to the better party by making the price and entry point um, much more affordable. The way that we're able to do that is that we are eliminating all the middlemen and we've dubbed that the brand tax, but it's not about brands specifically or marketing specifically. It's just about the inefficiencies of the way the system was built and how goods have heretofore been created, distributed, sold, and delivered into your home, your pantry, your cabinet, your table. We are working directly with manufacturers, creating extraordinary, better-for-you brandless products, and then they're going into our distribution center and we're shipping it to the 48 U.S. states without going into anybody else's retail environments or paying the inefficiency of the markups, et cetera, et cetera. Can totally see how that can just strip cost out of the uh, supply chain there for sure. How did you come up with the $3 price point? We came up with the $3 price point because number one, if you really want to do better everything for everyone, then you need to make that, let's say the doors in the front of the better building much broader and wider so we analyzed what was the price of entry into the better market, and it wasn't $3. So we wanted to essentially lower the bar, right, make the doors bigger. The second thing is that we felt that part of the brandless mission is to really simplify everything. And so you'll see in our packaging that, you know, we use a very simple white box that has Products can speak for themselves. So the product is named exactly what it is. Applesauce is applesauce. Facial lotion is facial lotion. Body wash is body wash. And so everything is named in very simplistic ways. And the pricing 
if you go to retail, and I know it's like this around the world, not just here in the U.S., the idea that, you know, 322 or 489 or 512 or what, what are all those prices and why is everything priced in such a different way? So we were trying to simplify the packaging, the choice. We edited down and curated an assortment and a collection of what we believe we call just what matters. So what are the most amazing things that people are looking for? And how do we fight against the paradox of choice? and the over-proliferation and consumption of products and SKUs, SKUs, which stands for stock keeping units. And how do we create something so simple that actually it's relaxing to shop there and that people are not confused by the paradox of choice. You don't need 48 feet of salad dressing to find a salad dressing that you're looking for. This is the first time I think that the work you've been doing really enters the tangible realm from a digital business that might be selling communities and information to here having supply chain and delivery, all the complexity that comes with logistics and the like. How did you think about, were you up for this gargantuan challenge? Because it's a massive business sort of model, isn't it? Yeah, I would say that a couple of things. Number one, by partnering and co-founding the company with Edo, I felt that in Edo I had not only a great sort of business soulmate, but also somebody who truly understood uh, the manufacturing piece of it. And then uh, we set out to do what the very best entrepreneurs in the world do uh, and have in common, which is recruit the greatest team in the world. And so our very first hire is a woman by the name of Rachel Vegas, and she hails from 15 years of working at Target, which is, you know, don't think you have a Target in Australia or necessarily in many countries around the world, but it's one of the largest mass retailers here. And Rachel, in her 15-year tour of duty there, she built their non-perishable grocery business. And in fact, she was one of the youngest women in America to actually be a general manager of a supermarket in her 20s. So I'm um, starting with Rachel and putting the products together and the assortment together and building the buying and the inventory and the assortment team, taking my expertise from what I would say, building digital products with the UI and UX, user interface and user experiences, and applying that to labels and systems. And then also borrowing from my experience of building community and applying community to a consumer packaged goods company that was bigger than anything we had actually, no CPG company had, one, applied a digital navigation to their physical packages, and number two, hadn't really had the ethos of building a community uh, alongside what they were doing. But at Brandless, we were very committed to putting, and are very committed to putting people first and fusing the concept of value, meaning price and affordability, and values, hey, I don't believe in animal testing, or I don't think trees should be cut down for paper goods, or I uh, don't think food should be genetically modified, or any of those things. Together, we could actually create a community of people that had a, a shared set of values. So coming back to, to you and your personal experience of building something new, which you've done a, a number of times, do you have moments of self-doubt as you're going through this? No. Uh, I mean, yes. Uh, yes and no and no and yes. Uh, I think that, you know, I'm not doing this alone. I'm doing this with an extraordinary group of people. And I have so much trust in the team. Everyone's going to make mistakes along the way. But the most important thing is to sort of keep it real 
acknowledge the mistakes, acknowledge the accomplishments, celebrate the wins, but like keep our heads down and keep going and keep executing. The most important thing you can be in a sort of hyper growth environment like this is present, is transparent, and is connected to the people that you're serving and the people that you're doing it along with. And I have so much faith and trust in the team that we're uh, building this with. And I think the feeling is probably mutual that I don't feel like I'm doing this alone. And so I don't really worry about that self-doubt because there is no self in it, right? It's like, it's totally about the, the journey with the people that uh, we're building it with. And so if you had some advice for a woman who was sort of thinking that they wanted to take that big leap, you know, into doing something something entrepreneurial or even, you know, a, a bigger job, but they've got this balancing act that they've got to manage with a family and um, perhaps other responsibilities, what, what would your advice be? A couple of things. The first thing I would say is really drop the inner critic and don't sweat the small stuff because nobody is perfect and nothing is perfect. If you're going to judge yourself by a standard that's not achievable, you might as well not even start or try. That's number one. Don't believe what you see on Instagram or Facebook or any of that. That's all edited and curated for audiences to see. But we all know that that's not how people really live. And so just, you know, take a reality check. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that life is about a series of partnerships. And so whether that's a partnership at home, whether that's a partnership at work, or whether that's a partnership with somebody that you have a long-term relationship with, you know, so for example, if you have a spouse or partner, really being upfront around setting expectations for what role they can or will play in the running of your family, the running of your household, the raising of your children, whatever that looks like, and getting clear on what the expectations are. And if you can't get that from that partner, or you don't have that partner, then figuring out how you can resource to focus on the things that really matter and don't focus on the things that really don't matter. You know, I always found when my children were young that I was privileged enough to be able to have, you know, a nanny helping, but I was very focused on having the help for things that were not about time spent with my children. So doing the laundry, cleaning the house, um, cooking or food shopping. Those were things that whilst I'm perfectly capable of doing those things, they didn't necessarily add up to more time with my children. And so was I not the perfect domestic partner where was my food not exactly how it could have or would have been if I cooked it myself? Maybe. But, you know, when my kids were young, when I came home, I wanted to be on the floor with them, you know, rolling a ball or building a building with blocks or, you know, playing hide and go seek or whatever it was. And so that might have meant that I didn't cook dinner or that might have meant that I didn't fold laundry at that time. Now, was that a perfect solution where my shirts always perfectly pressed or was my was everything in, you know, in order? Probably not. But did it really matter? Probably not. The things that really matter and the memories that mattered were the time that I spent on the floor with them and the time that I spent really connected to them. So I think that you have to really think about what are the priorities and not every you can't have it all at the same time. You can't be great in the kitchen and great on the floor with your kids and great in the office. Like there just aren't that many hours in the day. And so if I had to reduce that to a thought, I would say like, don't sweat the small stuff because it just doesn't matter in the end. 
And the stuff that does matter is the time that you're spending connected and focused. I'd love to turn, Tina, now to just exploring being a woman and a co-founder and an entrepreneur and CEO. What challenges, if any, for example, perhaps it might have been in looking for investors for Brandless, do you think you may have encountered because you were a woman? You know, to be totally honest, and I feel very privileged to be able to say this, not a single one. It could be my experience and my network and the people that, you know, this isn't my first rodeo. And so I was very fortunate to have, you know, deep relationships with a few extraordinary investors before I asked them to fund my company. And so I never really had to sort of hit the investor roadshow to raise funding because the relationships that I had and that Ido had and that we shared were with some, you know, blue chip investors. And so I never really think of myself as a woman in that regard. I just think of myself as an entrepreneur. And is there anything that frustrates you about the typical gender narrative today, the sort of conversations that are happening? Well, no. In fact, I'm super excited about the gender. Uh, I feel like it's becoming so much more of a, it's not a conversation that's happening outside the boardroom. It's actually a conversation that's happening inside the boardroom. It's not a conversation that's happening outside of HR. It's actually a conversation that's happening inside of HR and that diversity and, and inclusion has never been more of a headline neon bright lights than it is today. And I'm, I'm overjoyed at that. Tina, one of the questions that we like to ask our guests relates back into the podcast title, Don't Stop Us Now which really is all about a sense of momentum and conviction. So when have you thought to yourself, don't stop me now? I would say that with Brandless, that embodies a lot of the idea that it's not just about a product and it's not just about an ethos and it's not just about a pricing system or a simplification or a design or any of those things. It's actually about a movement about this democratization of access to better things at fair prices and the idea that we are doing it alongside of a community that we care deeply about. And we don't want anyone to get in our way because everyone deserves better. Why not create a company that is for profit and for purpose and unabashedly uh, demand that, actually? Tino, wrapping up, thank you so much for your time. Have you any last words where they can find you or Brandless? What I would say is first and foremost, it's so extraordinary to be able to be um, having this conversation with both of you because you're two women that I really admire and kudos to you for creating this programming for everyone. Check out Brandless.com on Facebook, on Instagram, on Facebook, we're Brandless Life. On Instagram, we're Brandless Life. And go to www.brandless.com and join us. We'd love to have you. Well, thank you, Tina. Brandless is going from strength to strength. I see you recently won Ad Age Startup of the Year amongst numerous other honors. Best of luck and thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has reinforced the idea that making great and new things happen is all about taking action despite doubts, fears, or tough times. Don't forget, links and other useful info from today's show can be found at our website, don'tstopusnow.co. And if you've enjoyed and been inspired today, our request to you is please subscribe. 
And if you could make today the day that you take two minutes to rate and review this show, we will personally blow your air kisses, sing you a song and be eternally grateful. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know who you'd like to hear in future on the show and what else we can do to make this unmissable for you. You can reach us at hello at don'tstopusnow.co. So, here's to being a little bit more unstoppable each and every day. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.